0: Live.
1: Greetings, gentlemen. This is Jeremiah Donaldson. I'm going to be doing the uh, moving
2: uh, into the National Liberty Alliance call right now. Bear with me. is provided in high definition by free conference call hd.com. Please enter your access code followed by the pound. This menu will repeat. Please enter your access code followed by the pound. This menu will repeat. Please enter your access code. They're moving slowly, and we're triple checking our work and making sure it's right.
3: But that's going to start to speed up, and we should be able to catch up pretty quickly and uh, and get ahead of the game very soon. But uh, but those things are going on for anybody who needs to get the habeas corpus is going. Uh, if your name isn't out there on the list, anybody who's got a habeas corpus, I still get letters from people wanting to know about Linda has the papers, and she told me this. I mean, that's a month ago or so. Linda's not uh, handling this work anymore. So they haven't been paying attention Uh and so we've got a new, uh, uh, really, uh, policy at this point in time. Anybody who wants us to do habeas corpus must be enrolled at bare minimum our constitutional course and moving along with it. If they're not in our constitutional course, we're not going to do the habeas corpus. Very, very uh, uh, few exceptions. We have some people that are homeless. Uh, one person was living out of a car. They didn't have good access to a computer. They had to go to a library, but life was tough. So, hey, you know, we we have compassion, of course, and, you know, we, we're sensible. We'll do the logical, the sensible, honorable thing. But generally speaking, if people are not taking this course and they're not interested in educating themselves and they're not interested in taking care of their own business and figuring out what needs to be done, why should we help them? We, we'll put our time to help someone who wants to help themselves. Also, we're expecting people who are doing this paperwork for it to get involved, roll up their sleeves, get involved with National Liberty Alliance. Let's solve the big problem so this problem doesn't happen to them again. So we're expecting people to get into this uh, constitutional course at bare minimum if they want us to do a habeas corpus. So anybody who wants to do a habeas corpus, anybody who's got paperwork in that, they, that hasn't got the habeas corpus going out, and anybody who's got the habeas corpus out already already knows it, and we we got tracking up here for that. But anybody else, if, it's, if they're not renewing their paper in the past couple of weeks to a month, they're not using the new forms, then their paperwork is not with us. Um, we just couldn't put the old paperwork together. We had to start fresh. We made it very, very simple. So look at just download the, the, the paperwork, read the instruction very, very carefully, go to Help, Highlight uh, Help, uh, well, and come down and click on Help with Abuse of Courts, Read the instructions very, very carefully. Download the two forms necessary. One is a template on the affidavit. The other one is a uh, intake form for the habeas corpus. Uh, it's a one pager. It's very simple. It's information you gotta have. I mean, it's you know, it's the name of the judge, the name of the court, the name of the prosecutor. Basic information that everyone that's in court should have. You can go down to the court if you're missing any of that information and ask for what's called the docket. Or you could take that form down there and don't don't explain to them what that what it is, but you could take it down there and go through the list. Well, what's the name of the person here for this or that? They'll give you the paperwork to get the information. So, but it's uh, you know it's basic information. But anyway, follow the instructions very carefully and get your paperwork in. And as soon as it's all in, we'll let you know. We'll acknowledge the fact that we've got it all, and your name will appear on uh, on the registry for this. Uh, let's see where this is at. You can track habeas corpus. Uh, uh, let's see, is this tracking here? Yeah, track the habeas corpus petitions. you click on that. There's a habeas corpus tracker. If your name is not up on this page, we don't have your intake. Uh, you can call and write letters and keep telling us that we have it. If it's not on this page, we don't have it, okay? So people need to uh, get up here and see if their name is up here. And uh, and if it's not, get your paperwork in if you're expecting us to do something with it. All right, Uh, let's see what else we have here. Uh, Gary, are you here? Do we have any uh, questions? I know I saw some questions. Uh, I didn't print them out. Is Gary here today? I guess not. I don't see no, him. No, I haven't
2: list. seen him.
4: No. He's
3: not. All right. All right. Uh, connect with Gary during the week and let him know if he's not going to make it to the meeting that maybe he should at least to uh, make sure that you or someone else uh, collects these questions so we can respond to questions. So we we probably have questions from the week before last and, and this week and we'll try to catch up with them next week. All right, I think that brings us to the end of anything I have to say right now. Uh, we're going to move over to Brent. Uh, Brent, uh, you with us? I see your name out there, so star six uh, to unmute yourself. Uh, but uh, Brent uh, is the author of Excellence in Common Law, and his website is commonlawyer.com. And Brent's going to take the mic for a while and teach us something, and then we'll open up for Q&A for Brent for 20 minutes or so or whatever. Brent, go right ahead.
4: Thanks, John. John, I recently heard a leader of Islam say this. He said the ordinary individual is too small-minded to make decisions for himself. And this Islamic leader continued with this. He said, Progress is possible only as every individual submits to an all powerful sovereign. I'm going to repeat that one. Progress is possible only as every individual submits to an all powerful sovereign. Those words, those two quotes are Barack Hussein Obama, or at least the man that calls himself Obama, and he said that at the Bilderberg meeting at the year 2014, a couple of years ago. But this statement of his, that progress is possible only as every individual submits of all powerful sub, Islamic people and Arab people and other people of Islam understand the that much, and Christian folk, by and large, and in Christian, Christian dumb D-O-M, but D-O-U-M-B, most folk that call themselves Christian folk don't understand that, don't acknowledge it, and it seems to me that they've never even really thought about it. The godless crowd, the lawless crowd, I say godless in the sense of the true God, they've chosen their God. And when Barack Hussein Obama says that progress is possible only as every individual submits to an all-powerful sovereign, well, he understands something that Christians don't. The problem is, of course, that his all-powerful sovereign is himself and other like-minded persons especially those at the Bilderberg meeting in the year 2014. That's what he thinks, and they think, about all other men. They're above them. All other men and women are too small-minded to make decisions for themselves. Therefore, we must make decisions for them. And they're moving rapidly. And the acceleration toward that goal is exponential at this point. And as all Islamic sultans of the past, and that's really what he is, to put it in Arabic words, he's a sult. He is committed to slavery and fulfilling his physical lusts, including murder, and in a word, domination. Domination. Everything about the evil empire, whether it's Romanism, Islam, or Phariseeism is about domination. It is lawless. It is godless. At the beginning, this evening, John mentioned three things. Patriotism. And then he spoke about morality. And then there was one other thing that was related, trying to think what it was. John, do you remember what it was exactly? Patriotism, morality.
3: Spiritual life. Spiritual
4: life, that's right. I should have written them down, but I'll remember them now. But those three things, patriotism is, that's that's not an English word, but it means love of country, love of, to be precise, the fatherland, patriotism, from the language in which that root is taken, is in the masculine. It's love of fatherland, love of the land. And by the way, love of the land, is spirituality, and pluralism is more morality, I should say, is really only worthwhile as it is morality within the law of the true lawgiver. All three of those things are inextricably bound together: love of land that's patriotism. Uh, spirituality well, it better be for the right reason and for the right God. and the way to do that is to, of course, obey him. And in this life, obedience, the blessing of God comes to those that are obedient and must be committed to learning his law and his government, and his government is his law. And we're talking about that, have been, the last few weeks. I appreciate the opportunity that John Jethers to come I speak about what I call, and others will call, I call him When I say this, our Declaration 76 calls it two volumes, the laws of nature and written. And the laws of nature God fit the Bible. We've been talking about the militia of the several states. Is it part of the lawgivers plan for government? And I say, yes, it is. It's observable in the nature of things. That first volume, God's revelation is built and this fall, and it's also expounded explicitly and particularly in the Bible. No people in the history of Adam's race have had such a forthright and clear explanation and
5: expression
4: of the law of what we call the militia as have Americans accepting ancient Israel, 12 tribes of ancient ancient Israel. But ours is clear, too. Our Constitution sets it forth. It is a common law doctrine. It's a common law doctrine. It's an ancient doctrine. militia called anciently in Anglo-Dane England, called the third FYRD. We call it the militia today. It's a blasphemy. The militia is the people. But the, our Constitution says the people of the United States. We the people. That phrase, the people, refers to the militia. And that is lifted from the Old Testament Hebrew, ha'am. Often used in the Old Testament to speak of the people, the armed ones. Of the nation of the 12 separate tribes of Israel. But our Constitution sets it forth this way. In four militia clauses, the first militia clause charges the Congress with providing for the rules for the separate states for calling forth the militia. And it also provi- uh, says that Congress can set the standard when the President can call forth the militia, and only for three reasons to execute the laws against press insurrection and repel invasions, these and no other. That's our Congress, that's their job, respecting the militia of the several states. That's the first militia clause. The second militia clause, reserved to the states respectively, of quoting our Constitution, appointment of the officers of each of the states and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. So Congress has a job under the first militia clause. The states, that means the legislature and the governor, has a job under the second militia clause. And then the third militia clause tells us, delegates to the president of the United States, whoever it may be, a particular job. And it gives, delegates to the president, or constitution does, the authority over a member of the state's militia, but only when called into the actual service of the United States. We've mentioned that the governor of each of, state, of the states and the president of the United States have what we call concurrent jurisdiction over calling forth the militia. And the first one to call the forth in any particular circumstance or time has jurisdiction over the militia. The governor calls forth the militia or any part of the militia of the state of this state he has jurisdiction. If the president of the United States calls forth any militia of any state or any part of any militia of any state or the whole militia of the United States on any of the three reasons we mentioned above what the Constitution sets forth. Then the President has authority over those persons of the militia. And then finally, the fourth militia clause doesn't delegate anything. The other three militia clauses delegate powers. The other three militia clauses a constitution that delegates nothing but recognizes the right of the people to keep the bear arms far bars any infringement of that right at any time. Infringement, that means nibbling around the fringes, the edges. We left off last time talking about the particular part of that fourth militia clause, namely the part that says that a militias be. Well, regulated, and we talked about the word regular, the root regular in our Constitution. What does it mean? It's also used in the commerce clause. Commerce is to be regular in the states. But regular means to be ready. It, is to be, it means to be constant. Keep and bear arms. That's constant. Keeping them and carrying them with you wherever you go. That's what regular means. We distinguish between the, for instance, the regular Navy versus the reserves. The regular Navy is always armed, always loaded down with ammunition, always on watch, on on patrol of the seas, online, as sailors say, and ready to fight if need be to enforce the rights of the United States. That's regular Navy, always ready. Indeed, for one to be ready to fight a moment's note, notice means one must keep one's firearms in his home, loaded, and when he leaves his home, he must bear a loaded firearm on his person. That means regular. In short, the second Amendment's well-regulated militia, those words, refers to those individuals of the people carrying loaded guns. The security of our country, says our Second Amendment, depends upon such an armed militia among us. And moreover, any government infringements that may prevent, this is what infringement means to prevent, heave, or even chill, C H I L L, this personal right to keep a bear arms by requiring permits, background checks, mechanical regulations open-ended regulations, of firearms, make our country insecure. You see, if you overload a fellow with regulations concerning firearms, he will, as our, as our courts have said of other constitutional rights, he will feel the chill of his rights. He will be a little bit in trepidation to act, to do what his duty is. What is his duty? His duty before God is fundamental right, not delegated by the Constitution, not given to him by government, but dropped on him individually by his free war. That's what we call a fundamental right, a right that is delegated direct from God to man. And self defense and defense of others, family, friends, and neighbors, and one's country falls into that category. That's what infringement is to impede, to hamper, to prevent, or even to chill. We say, for example, in our court said, that anything that chills the right to free speech is unconstitutional. Well, the same thing stands true of the Second Amendment. Fundamental responsibility That's what a right is. People say a right, every, do every right is accompanied by a duty. I know what people mean when they say that, but I believe it should be said strongly, Because every right is a duty. That's what the old Germanic word right needs to do. They have other it's German or us by the Anglo-Saxon. Okay. These German speakers still but as a stress. stress is due. The well-regulated militia is the very regular, very regular, very regular. That
2: answers for well-regulated. Very regular militia. Well, I think we're losing ready. you there, uh, Brent.
4: Uh, is,
3: is it me or is it Brent that's going in and out?
4: I'm here now, I hope.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hearing you've you, you broken up, though. Uh,
4: oh, it's uh, my phone, no doubt. Oh, I'll Jay. tell you what.
3: Yep.
4: Are you still there? Can you hear me all we, right, John? We
3: can hear you. You're coming through clear now, so continue. It
4: was okay, just for I'll a short while.
3: Yeah.
4: Thanks for letting me know. Indeed, the ever-ready militia is always armed and ever ready to fight upon threat. If the threat comes fast without awaiting official orders from distant command a fellow needs to be ready. In the case of an emergency that demands immediate action, and our history bears this out, I can think of two instances where Andrew Jackson, Andrew Jackson to become president of the United States acted
2: without authority
4: from anyone with the militia of Tennessee. He was at that time the commander of the militia of Tennessee. And Time did not permit him. In those days, there were no telegraphs or telephones. Time did not permit him to, to communicate with his superiors. In that case, it would have been the governor of the state. When the threat comes fast, men need to be ready. And that's what well-regulated well is meant to, to address the threat that comes fast. They need to keep one's firearm ready. Here's another good word that answers to regulated steady. Ready and steady use. Ever ready. Now one other illustration, I'll yes, an illustration from our own history, illustrating the constitutional meaning of the word regular regular. Immediately after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, General George C. Marshall Knowing that his country was under immediate threat of more vicious attacks or even invasion, he began to issue orders to staff officers by telephone. No time for formalities of official letters or telegrams. And one officer, upon receiving General Marshall's call by telephone, ordering him to Washington, D.C., without the least delay, and ordering him to be prepared to stay for the indefinite duration of need, this officer requested from General Marshall 24 hours to the safe relocation of his family. General Marshall, however, reminded him that he was regular army, and asked him if he knew that his country was at war, and this fellow answered yes. Whereupon, whereupon General Marshall demoted him, passed over him, and called another to fill the position intended for him, because to General Marshall, regular army meant instant and ever-ready army. And God, God indeed, and calls God indeed calls His people to have their staff in their hand, their hat on their head, their shoes on their feet. And be ready, and I cite you again, I might have done this before I'll do it one more time, to those words of Luke, chapter 22, where Jesus Christ, speaking to his disciples, said, But now, and he made a distinction between what had gone before and what would continue up even till our own time. Well, that's all I have for this evening, John. If there are any questions, as long as I can be heard, I'm willing to entertain them if you want to do that.
2: Okay, thank you, Brent. Uh, yeah, let's open up uh, for uh call. Uh, let's see, we have Eric
3: from Georgia. Go right ahead, Eric. Uh,
0: Yeah, Um, Brent, could you talk about the 12 men, sorry for the background noise, the 12 men who wrote the Bible, I believe it's 12 men, can you tell me about them just in general? I'd just love to hear what you know about it uh, and hear it from you. Uh, I I appreciate
4: it. I didn't catch what you said, Eric, 12 men.
0: Oh that's what I've heard. I don't know who wrote the Bible. Yeah. Was it 12 uh psalmists, bishops?
4: Yeah. No, I mean I don't I, know. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. I I am familiar with the idea that the number 12 has tremendous meaning throughout the revelation of God and in the economy and government of God. The number 12 indicates in Somehow, in most instances that I've seen, it's used, and I again, I'm not the first one to observe this. Men much more learned than me have said it in the past, but it it has to do with ruling and rule and government, and therefore we have our jury. You know, people say uh, which one of the branches of government is the has the final word on what is lawful and what is not, what is constitutional, what what is not, and it's popular popular today to say the Supreme Court has that as the, the branch of government, and that's not true. Uh, the jury, even our Constitution, makes the point that facts that the jury set forth and the facts will dictate the case. They will even dictate the law, by the way. But uh, that's un- uh, unappealable, unquestionable, unreviewable, except court, the rules of common law. Of course, that means that there's something that was amiss with the jury. Sometimes that does happen. By the way, the jury will break the rules of due process. That has happened. I've been involved in cases where that's happened. But the the jury, the twelve person, the twelve man jury, is the final word in individual cases, and that is the definition. That is the definition of the word he used in the Bible by the Apostle James in his epistle. The word lawgiver, anciently, the word lawgiver means the final decider of right and wrong in individual instances. That's what a jury does. And even in the Older Testament of the Bible, such persons are called gods, small g. And Jesus Christ substantiates that statement of David the Psalms in the Newer Testament, uh, what a god is. I spoke at the beginning, that higher sovereign power of that would-be sultan Barack Hussein Obama he wants to be that person, of course, but
2: that higher power, that
4: all-powerful all sovereign, as he puts it, we have an all-powerful sovereign. He is the maker of heaven and earth, and it's his law that governs us, whether we, we acknowledge it or not. And the consequences of not obeying it or obeying it are unavoidable, unchangeable, immutable. And once a person grasps that idea and accepts it, then he can begin to really live, but The number 12, by God's immutable law, has come down to us. And isn't it of great curiosity that it has come to us in our common law tradition, our law of the land, the 12-man jury, and how important it is to us? And I've tried to trace it back, and I'm continuing to look, and I've read the books that men have tried to do exhaustive studies on why we have a 12-man jury. And amazingly, uh, no conclusive answers are given except to say that we can take it back to the revelation of God. And the connection between the Bible and our common law is lost. that It becomes disjointed in the fog of antiquity. But I would observe also that in our, our Anglo culture, our Anglo way of looking at life, it's even part of our measurement, as it was in the ancient world, by the way. We have 12 inches to the foot, we have the dozen of 12, we have the baker's dozen of 12 plus 1, and we have what the Danes brought back to England when they invaded in the Viking invasions, what they called the long, the long dozen, which is 120. That's still used, by the way, in certain parts of England to measure certain things, especially around York, in the north of the, in the East, where the Danes settled, but what about the twelve men that wrote the Bible? I've never heard about the twelve. There were twelve. There were more than twelve men that were used to pen the Bible. So I'm not sure exactly to what to refer. Well, well maybe, no, I can, that, that...
3: maybe I can just comment a little bit on this. Though also, you know, the number twelve in the Bible is the fullness. In this case, the fullness of the body, uh, and there's always, the number thirteen hidden. For instance, there are twelve apostles, but of course, you know, we have Judas also. There was thirteen. Uh, Paul called himself uh, as, as an apostle. Uh, so there ended up the B12 plus one thirteen. Uh, also, the Old Testament, when you get into the tribes, the twelve tribes of Israel, there's actually two two extra tri- or one extra tribe. There's actually thirteen tribes. One of the tribes was broken into two. I think it was Dan. I don't remember which one. But uh, in any event, there they were God only always speaks of twelve or we'll lists twelve, but they're actually thirteen. So there's 13 in the old, 13 13 in the new, or shall I say 12 in the old and 12 in the new. Uh, So you have the son of perdition that is in there and that's interesting with the Baker's Dozen that, that uh, brings that extra one comes up into 13 uh, but that seems to be that 13 is a hidden number in the Bible the other thing is is that you have the 24 elders 12 and 12 12 old, 12 new Old Testament and New Testament brought together you also have the 144,000 of Revelations which is 12 times 12 times 1,000 which again 1,000 is the number of completion so all these numbers they have a spiritual significance and if you study the numbers you start to see the spiritual pictures that God is really bringing out to us. But as far as uh, people writing the Bible, the author of the Bible is God himself. Holy men of old spake or wrote as God the Holy Spirit moves them. So the author ultimately is God. The uh, secretaries and writers of the book our uh, prophets, God chose to write the book exactly as He wanted it, so every word is out of His breath. Uh, and I believe, if I recall, there were 39 individuals spread across a, a geographical, pretty large geographical area over, uh, let me see, how many years? Uh, I think 1200. No, not even quite that much. Maybe about a. Yeah, maybe about 1,200 years to write the No, actually, going back further than that, because uh, Moses, uh, I'd have to figure the numbers. But in any event, a couple of thousand years, uh, 39 individuals wrote 66 books. So I'm pretty sure that's the correct number. 39 people, chosen of God, to pen the word, and the total books with 66. So that may be what you're looking for.
0: Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I, I really appreciate that from both of you. And then, uh, Brent, speaking about uh, – John was mentioning apathy earlier, and you talk about uh, consciousness rightly informed. How would you go about informing someone's consciousness today when we are so apathetic? Um, and let me tell you, I knew someone who read the Bible beginning to end who was an attorney – and I've got to tell you, this individual missed most of the first principles. I mean, just like clear over their head. So how will you do that today with the apathy, if you please? Um, and if you can't answer it now, then another time, just think about it.
4: Well, only to help you know, maybe John could add his ideas on this too, but I have a conclusion for myself that it's my job to speak and it's not my job make people listen. If Jesus Christ himself um, couldn't make people listen, I don't think I'm going to. And Jesus Christ put it this way. He'd speak sometimes. He'd speak the words of God, which he did, of course. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm dumb. That's the difference between me and him. But when I do, I try to remember that God said, let him that have ears hear. Jesus would speak, and then he'd say, let him that have ears hear. The truth is, God hasn't given ears to every man at every every time. And uh, when the ears are open, uh, when God opens them, than men hear, and it's our job to speak the truth. And because he's got people out there, he wants to, he wants to hear. And in any case, uh, when you speak the truth of the law of God, and that's what the will of God, and that's what the, the revelation of God's all about, when you speak it, it it always does its job. It always condemns men to curse, or it it blesses them to good. In either case, God gets his will. That's not my decision to make. My, my job is to speak, to say the truth, to recount the law of God, to be, the, as our ancestors and our forebears used to say, the law talker. So uh, we don't want to be afraid of that word law either. So it's not uh, always a matter of how do we, how do you, uh, it's not my job to perk people up. I can't do that. It's not even possible. If they're not willing to listen, I can't change the will, but they can deliver the message. Uh,
3: excellent. Okay.
0: okay. Thank you very much. appreciate it.
3: Okay. Thank you, Eric. All right. Um, if anybody else wants to get into the queue, start to get into the queue. we'll take our next uh, questioner. Is uh, Jeremiah unmuted? Go right ahead, Jeremiah.
1: How are you? Hi. You can hear you. Oh, Brent, it's so nice to hear you guys again. Uh, And as well as the last caller, uh, the one that was asking those very good questions, um, I guess it's hard to live up to the the last caller's questions. You see, (laughs) Uh, because the intellectual character of them was so high. Now the bar is way up there, so I will uh, see what I can do. I'm I'm really asking about the effect of the what you spoke about earlier. The the militia and the Second Amendment, okay, and the right of the people to uh, bear to bear arms, okay. And I have a quote from United States versus Vertigo, I'm sorry for the mispronunciation, four ninety four U.S. two fifty nine, and it states the people seems to have been a term of art employed in select parts of the Constitution. Its use suggests that the people protected by the Fourth Amendment and by the First and Second Amendment and to whom rights and powers are reserved in the Ninth and Tenth Amendments refers to a class of persons who are part of a national community or who have otherwise developed sufficient connection with this country to be considered part of that community. And I just wanted to add that in there for everybody that is listening um, and get your take on whether or not the Second Amendment uh, actually applies to a private individual or man instead as opposed to solely to the to the militia as it delegates so so clearly at the constitution the the power. Yeah. And so so I so I don't know if I if I, let me let me let me let me just read a quick screenshot and then uh let's see here. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to look for relevance. It's not relevant, so if you feel like answering, go ahead, sir. Thanks.
4: Okay. Well, thanks. The uh, the Sixth Amendment does apply to the individual. It applies to the individual, and the reason we say that is because without it applying to the individual, there will be no militia that is not infringed upon. Remember this: rights only apply to individuals. They do not apply to groups. That's A lie that's been foisted upon us and it continues to be foisted upon us. You read the court cases, you begin to understand that rights, of course, have observed this. It's not that they make it that way, that's just the way it is. And our Supreme Court, of course, in respect of the Second Amendment, have ruled that way and said that in 2008 that the Second Amendment does apply to the individual right to keep and carry a gun. That was in the Heller decision, which we decided a couple of weeks ago. That was in the year 2008. You can go to the internet and listen to the arguments. You can listen to the Supreme Court summary when they read their decision. It's instructive. And For those that are interested in the Second Amendment, I highly recommend that you go to the website. I believe the name of it is Justia, Justia, J-U-S-T-I-A, and you can, it, it'll show you there, it's self explanatory, how to type in. The year was 2008. The name of the case is uh, D.C. versus Heller. That's the foundational case. That's the first time in the history of our country that our Supreme Court has had opportunity to clearly take the Second Amendment by the nettle and to make the fundamental rulings on it that needed to be made and they hit the nail on the head and got a lot of things right. But One of the things they got right is that it is indeed an individual right because, again, it is impossible that it could be anything else because there is no other kind of right but an individual right. Corporations don't have the fundamental rights, and I'm speaking of fundamental rights. Corporations don't have fundamental rights. That's why a corporation can't refuse a subpoena to uh, turn over its books and records. Into court and argued those kind of things doesn't work can't get away with that individuals have that right and that applies also to the second amendment uh, an association of people a mere association a mere association of people uh, don't have that right the militia the several states don't have that right uh, it is the individual that
1: has it Here it is yeah pretty, I'm looking at Heller now in it in it reads this normal meaning may of course include an idiomatic meaning but it excludes secret or technical meaning that would not have been known to ordinary citizens in the founding generation and what it's referring to is of course the second amendment further up it states the second amendment provides a well regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people lowercase p, to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It, uh, In interpreting this text, we are guided by the principle that the Constitution was written to be understood by the voters. Its words and phrases were used in the normal and ordinary and as distinguished from technical meaning. That's from, uh, I guess, United States versus Sprague, 28 U.S., 282 U.S. 716. But back down to that part where it's talking about uh, the normal meaning may, of course, include an idiomatic meaning. Is this, what is this what you're on about? The the way that you're describing it sounds like, like what he's referring to in this article uh, or in, in his bottom line, dialogue. Bottom
4: line, he, he cites uh, mm-hmm. uh, a first principle of hermeneutics mean just the, the art of interpretation of writings of legal significance, and the Constitution is another one of those writings of legal significance. If the common sense makes sense, take the common sense. That's the first step we should take. Now, sometimes that doesn't always work, but in most all cases, that's where we need to start. If the com- common sense of the words makes sense, take the common sense. If people would do but that, when it comes to statutes, when it comes to to our Constitution of the United States, when it comes to the Bible, for crying out loud. Just do that one thing. Let the words, the, the common sense of the words, make sense to you, and try to show how the Bible, make, and the Bible, the Constitution, just try to show how it makes sense, and not nonsense. How does it fit together? That's, by the way, the definition of, and when it comes to the Bible, that's the definition of theology. That's just a big, fancy word, theology. It just means we're going to show how... God's law makes sense and not nonsense. We're going to show how it goes together. This does not contradict this. And by the way, it is axiomatic also with the Constitution that it is, as with the Bible, it uh, it does not contradict itself. Unlike the IRS code, the IRS code is not even a code. A code, by definition, is something that is consistent within itself. Uh, The IRS code is not consistent within itself, but I tell you for sure, from all my looking, yeah, the Constitution's pretty consistent, and the, and as is our Bible and our Constitution has woven through it this standard of the militia. You don't just see it in these four militia clauses. It comes up if you if you really begin to contemplate the Constitution over long periods of time. The more you think about it, the more you see that the militia is integral to it in its in its many parts holds it together. But that's true of all the other weavings of the warp and the woof of our Constitution. They hammered it out. And the reason it goes together so well is not because the fellows that wrote it were so smart. Here's the reason why. Because our Constitution is a brief of common law government that had been hammered out through trial and error over centuries and centuries and centuries by trial and error, not by wisdom of men, really, just by observation of what works and doesn't work. In the nature of things, that is the laws of nature. You see, our common law.
1: And thank you. And also, one last thing is that using containing or denoting expression that are natural to native speakers means is what idiomatic means. So you were right on the money there, and I really appreciate that honest answer. Thank you very much, sir. You're too kind. Thank you so much.
3: We're going to take our next question. Do you, do you want to respond some more to that? Uh, anything no, there? thanks, John. Right. I, I, yeah, thanks. You
1: may now ask your question.
3: OK. All right, our next caller uh, looks like Daniel. <clears throat> you should be unmuted now.
2: Muted. I believe- yeah, there you go. Daniel, calling in on a VoIP dialer. I think I hear something in the background.
5: try again okay that's now it's unmuted okay there
3: you go go right ahead
5: okay great well i just was I called in about a month ago and i didn't get a chance to uh get back i was busy they shut my website down i don't know if it's a technical deal or if it's because i posted an article about hillary clinton uh they seem to be watching it so, saveamericanow.com so if you go to that, it's down but i still have a court here that's just violating the law. I've subpoenaed police officers to prove that there was false police reports, which I'm in Oregon and it's against Oregon law. I could bring up their code 192 or whatever, but, and they refused to prosecute the district attorney. So I contacted the attorney general's office and I'm waiting for a call back from them. And then there's just, there's just some other garbage going on with some city police officer being blackmailed because apparently some guys got pictures of, him on a cell phone picture is having sex with an underage girl
2: and he's blackmailing him so he can run drugs.